morning. You may be seated. Good to see everyone today, physically, in person. And of course, glad that those who are listening are able to join us on our live stream. How's everybody feeling today? Good. Yeah, a little, little mixed review there, which we can anticipate these days. received a text message recently from a dear friend. He said this, I would like to request prayer for my wife and my daughter. My wife continues to suffer with post-traumatic neuralgia from prolonged painful effects from shingles. My daughter was diagnosed on Tuesday with lymphoma rare form of uh, leukemia and has begun chemotherapy at Cleveland Clinic. As a pastor, you could imagine you get a lot of those text messages. And even if it's short, you can feel the depth of the desperation. Moments where people come to the reality that they're not in control and that if God doesn't act, If God doesn't do something, there simply is no hope. And all the heaviness of 2020, all that we've been through, there's still real-life sorrows and suffering and difficulties that people face beyond COVID, beyond presidential elections, beyond racial tensions. That what's hard about it is it's, as we've said before, it's put on top of the normal, everyday, unexpected, just suffering that comes our way. So these moments bring us to a place of desperation. They bring us to a place of need. That if God doesn't act, there is no Are you there today? Are you in that place? Maybe you say, no, I'm good. But maybe you know somebody that is. They're in that place. Desperately in need for God to act. Or there is no hope. What specific issue or situation brings you there to that moment. And the question I bring today, I think the text raises as well, is this. In these moments where we're desperate for God to act, is there hope? Is there hope for us? Is there hope in our need for deliverance, to be delivered, to be saved from it, to be brought out of it, for restoration. Is there hope for deliverance? And I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm not getting cute this morning. The answer is yes, there is. Yes. We've seen this 
in these chapters in Matthew, have we not? Chapters 8 and 9. I mean, if, if you're not getting it yet, it's going to hit you square in the heart today. Jesus is hope for desperate people in seemingly hopeless situations. That's what Matthew's been telling us. Passage after passage, week in and week out, Jesus is hope for desperate people in seemingly hopeless situations. So I'm just going to give it to you now. We're going to show you why we can make such a statement. Open up Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. So she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Amen. You come to this text and right away you're hit square in the eyes with the tragedy of the situation with this ruler who really in this moment is a father. Right? It says a ruler came to him. But please understand his identity here, especially as he expresses his desperate need. He says, my daughter. He's a father. A father has lost his daughter. And so he comes to Jesus in his desperate need. I cannot imagine what he's facing. I cannot imagine what he is dealing with as a father, the depths of such loss. The older I get, the more I realize that the most valuable things in our lives are not things. They're people, right? They're people. Nothing can compare in value to the people that God has graciously given to us to share life with and to enjoy. And so when we lose people, there's a depth of sorrow that therefore cannot be compared to those any other kind of sorrow. Can you follow me? People. He's lost his daughter. 
child. I don't know if any of you read any of Tim Challey's blog posts and articles, but recently I was brought to tears in shock, and I can't imagine how he felt (laughs) as the father to see that his son, Nick, had just abruptly collapsed and died in college. Could you imagine the shock and the depth of sorrow given the value of a child? That's what this man is feeling. And some of you here in this room have walked that road. You say, oh, Mike, you say you can't imagine. Well, we, we imagined it. We went through it. You can identify and understand the depth of sorrow and the depth of need that this man feels and is going through. And so he comes to Jesus, and he does so humbly, right? The irony of this. He's a ruler, a ruler of the synagogue. He's probably accustomed to people coming to him on their knees in confusion and doubt and despair, asking him for guidance and advice and help. He's usually the one in charge, in control. But sorrow and suffering has brought him to his knees in the presence of the ruler, capital R. The ruler realizes there's a limit the scope of what he rules over. And he has no word. He has no advice. He has no counsel. He's come to the end of his rope in terms of ruling. And now he simply is a subject at the feet of the ruler, Jesus Christ. So he comes before Jesus. Isn't that what sorrow and suffering does to us? Doesn't it have a way of helping us realize humbly understand that we are not all cracked up to what we think we are, you know, that we're not the end-all, be-all, that sorrow and suffering and loss show us that we need to run to Christ's feet, that we need Him to act, that we have no answer. Sorrow and suffering has a way of humbling us and putting us in the position that we're always in, in desperate need of Jesus to act on our behalf. Sorrow and suffering has a way of doing this, and it's humbled this man. This ruler has quickly become a subject, submitting heart and soul to Jesus in this moment of desperation. But he comes to Jesus hopefully as well, not just humbly, but he comes to Jesus Hopefully, he says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. His faith is expressed in his humility and also his hope. You just touch her, she will live. It's a surprising request, a surprising assumption, given the laws surrounding the touching of a corpse. Right? To touch a corpse would render the person who touched that corpse ceremonially unclean. Jesus, come touch my daughter who's dead. It's a surprising assumption and request. It's also surprising because of the irreversible nature of her state. She's dead. If you read Mark's account, right? they say, why bother the teacher anymore? Stop wasting his time. 
she's dead. And so you see the surprising request and assumption. You see the faith of this ruler become a subject as he says, listen, if you just come and touch her, she will live. You see, he's probably heard, maybe even witnessed, the, the power and the authority of Jesus over in, in, throughout his ministry. Christ has healed the leper, cleansed the leper. Christ has uh, uh, healed the paralytic, really two of them. The woman with a fever. He's got authority over demons. I mean, that's what we have observed. So you understand where this request comes from. Sorrow and suffering have a way of bringing us to our knees in the presence of God, especially when we understand the kind of power and compassion and authority that our God has. Remember, our hope is tied to His authority. And that's what this man, in his desperation, understands. There's nowhere else to go but to God. There's nowhere else to go but to Jesus in this moment. Are you in that place today? Whatever you're facing, do you recognize that there's nowhere else to go but God? That there's nowhere else to go but to Jesus? We're drawn away to many other things to numb and to make us therapeutically feel good about what we're dealing with. To falsely reassure us, but we recognize that we're talking about the things that this passage puts forward. It's only to Jesus that we can turn for hope. And so we're brought to our knees. God's using sorrow, suffering, this desperation to bring this ruler to his knees in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so in your desperation, in what seems to be a hopeless situation, come to Christ. He is the hope for desperate people. Come to Christ today. He's your hope. He's your hope. The text says that Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. But on the way, going to the ruler's house, it would seem that there's an interruption. Just imagine what the ruler, as we understand the other accounts, Jairus, uh, would be feeling. You know, uh, Jesus, this woman approaches Jesus and comes to him in her need. She has a 12-year battle with a discharge of blood. She's hemorrhaging. Twelve years. It's assumed that this hemorrhage comes from her, her menstrual cycle. We don't know that for sure, but that's to be assumed. And in that moment, you understand the depth of her need. And yet, to really understand the depth of her need, you have to be at least have a, somewhat of an understanding of the Levitical laws surrounding people who had discharges of blood. Leviticus 15 outlines very specific laws about how to handle such conditions, especially related to ceremonial uncleanness. There's that theme again. This woman is ceremonially unclean. This means she cannot worship with the people of God. This means that she is unclean, she's impure. It's affected her standing before God and the people of God. She can't worship acceptably. Twelve years she can't worship acceptably. 
and anyone that would come into physical contact with her would also be unclean and would have to submit themselves to ceremonial ritual cleansing to be clean again. No one was interested in touching her or being near her for 12 years. This would affect her relationship to her husband and their marital intimacy. This would, in effect, ostracize her from society. She was on mandatory quarantine for 12 years. Social distancing was her life. figure since 2008, this has been her story. That was Matthew L. Wright. Since 2008, this has been her story. Desperate, desperately need and craving and longing for restoration, for cleansing, to be restored back to worship and community, to not be shunned. And in this condition, she seeks out Jesus. She takes the risk of approaching him. As we understand, in the midst of a crowd of people that are bumping into one another, touching each other, as Jesus journeys to the ruler's house. And so she comes to Jesus, and she's wondering if I can just touch her garment, touch his garment. I don't need to make this a a public spectacle. I don't need to have a personal encounter With Jesus, I just need to touch his cloak, his garment, and then I'll be made well. I can just kind of quick touch the garment and sneak away, and I'll be better, and then we can, you get the point here, right? But Jesus, the text tells us, turns to her, and he sees her. In the midst of her sorrow, in the midst of her brokenness, Jesus turns toward her and sees her. What a hopeful phrase. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our desperation, Jesus turns to us and he sees us. He knows. And what does he say? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. You go, I think we've heard that phrase before. Very similar. You go back to the earlier part of the chapter. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Again, he understands the discouraging, exhausting effect of 12 whole years. Take heart. Be encouraged. Daughter, your faith has made you well. What an amazing thing for Jesus to say. Your faith has made you well. Not the touching of my garment. Don't be superstitious about it. I want you to understand what makes you well today. It is not the touching of my garment, but it is your faith that has made you well. Not faith itself. We have to be very careful here. Jesus is not saying that faith itself is making anyone well. Jesus is not insinuating that if we just have faith itself, that we will be saved, that we will be delivered, that we will be made well. He's not saying that at all. It's the object of her faith that saves her. It is Christ. It was her faith in Christ that saved her. Not just faith itself. We don't have the freedom to believe 
in anything we want and therefore have the expectation of being made well. No, it matters what our faith is in. This woman approached Jesus in faith, and it was her faith in Jesus that made her well. So understand in our brokenness that it matters where our faith is focused. What matters and what saves is the object of our faith, not just our faith itself. And so it is faith in Jesus that saves her, that delivers her from her ailment. And the text tells us that when he said that instantly, the woman was made well. It's the same word for saved. She was made well. She was restored to health. She was saved from her condition. And that's the word that we understand today. That as desperate as we are, when we come to Christ in faith, the Bible tells us that we're made well, that we're saved. When we come to Christ in faith, we are saved. If you're here today and you've not come to Christ in faith, come to Him today, trusting in His power and His authority, knowing that He turns to you, He sees you, He knows, and He will make you well. Let me ask you a question. Is there any more desperate need than to be cleansed by Jesus? Not just on the outside, but on the inside. Is there a greater need in your life than to be cleansed within than to be restored back to acceptable relationship with God where you can worship Him and enjoy the presence of God with the people of God? Is there anything more significant than being cleansed from our sin and our wickedness in all that makes us dirty? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. anything more significant for us than to come to Christ for cleansing, for the fulfillment of this promise from Ezekiel 36, where the Lord is saying to his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Did you hear that? I'll sprinkle clean water on you from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And I will uh, uh, put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what's happening. Jesus is not just cleaning her physically, but cleaning her totally. That's what we need today. Is there more of a need, a desperate situation, than our standing before the living God? And to be cleansed from all of our sin and wickedness. The good news of the gospel is that when we come to Jesus in faith, no matter how dirty we may be, He will cleanse us from all wickedness and restore us back to fellowship with Him, restore us back to fellowship with each other so that we can worship Him. 
no longer live in isolation and alienation from God and one another, but restored. Jesus is hope. Jesus is hope for desperate people facing what seems to be hopeless circumstances. The story's not over. After the healing of the woman, the text tells us that he came to the ruler's house. He saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. If you understand what's going on there, no matter who you were in Israel, that if you were dealing with mourners, you had the loss of someone close to you, that it was required that you have mourners, that you had even hired people to mourn with you for you. Even if you were the poorest of the poor, it was required that you would have flutists and wailers and that a big commotion would take place. And so Jesus comes, and they've already begun that process. They've already hired out people, probably a number of people, given the resources that were available to the ruler of the synagogue. There were probably a lot of flutists and, 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 uh, and people that were wailing. And the commotion was great. And so Jesus comes into this process of mourning, and he basically says, leave, your services are no longer needed. Now, many people would say, well, this means that the child never died at all. The child's not dead. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is emphasizing the temporary nature of her state. That she is about to be raised. So consider her sleeping. She's not dead. There's no finality to that statement. That she is dead. Her death was real, but it was not final. In that sense, she was sleeping, and she was about to be woken up. And so the crowd laughs at him. What a joke. I can't imagine laughing in this moment. Can you? Right? I'm not sure the ruler of the synagogue hired people to laugh. Uh, no, well. But nonetheless, such a statement was so ridiculous to them, you can understand why they would at least chuckle at the thought that this little girl was not dead. And so Jesus comes in. The crowd's put outside. Jesus comes in. And look at what the text says. He took her by the hand. Again, remember that if you touch a corpse, you're unclean. Very risky for Jesus, at least from other people looking on. Jesus understands the risks. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about to do. But you understand that to touch a corpse would render someone ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And Jesus touches her. Matthew is emphasizing the fact again as we've seen in 8 and 9, that Jesus is not absent or distant from our sorrow and our suffering. He's actually very near to us, and he comes to touch us. Very close, very intimate. 
very near. Such closeness and connection, so personal. And the text tells us that when Jesus touches her, that the girl arose. Like, did you hear what that says? Did you you hear what I said? The girl arose. She was dead. Jesus touches her. She's alive. She arose. Thus showing us that Christ is the Lord of life. That he makes life and he remakes it. That he gives it and he gives it again. He's the Lord of life. Jesus is hope in the face of death because Jesus is the Lord of life. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 15. Can you imagine the joy, the transformation in the room? Can you imagine the, the, the differing experience and emotion of the father and the family? My daughter was dead, but now because of Jesus, she's alive. Where, oh death, is your sting? That's who Jesus is. And he shows it very personally, very powerfully to these people and to us this morning. That Jesus is hope in the face of death. Not just uncleanness, but death itself because he's the Lord of life. Is there a more desperate need for us today than life? To live. to being restored from all that sin has taken away from us, bringing us to that place that the Lord said it would bring us to, a state of death, physically, spiritually. Is there a greater need for the world today than life? No. As Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Renovation Church? And all those listening, do you believe this? That in the face of our desperate need for life, we come to Christ and we get it. We have it because we have him. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I love this, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Not just this little girl, but anyone, anyone who comes to me in their desperate need, who comes to me in the hopelessness of their situation, who comes to me in the midst of their ostracization from society, their uncleanness from their sin, they can't worship, they're unaccepted, they're, they're socially distanced as a, just a pattern of their life, who comes to me in the face of death, or even the anticipation of death, and all the loss that that brings us, who comes to me, no one, if anyone comes to me, I will put my hand on theirs, and they will rise again. 
gospel. If you're getting a headache, you need to come. <laughs> it's so good. I can't help but get intense. I can't help it. It moves me. It reminds me of my need. Hope it reminds me of yours and the provision that God has given to us in Christ. It is He that is our hope. In our desperation, in all the circumstances that we face, but ones that we may not think of, our need to be cleansed and our need to be saved and given eternal life because ultimately every one of us will face death physically. But will we know Christ? Will we place our faith in Him? Will we come to Him in faith? And will we what? Receive the promises that He says, I will cleanse you, I will raise you up on the last day. And that's all on the basis of His authority. It's all on the basis of His grace, His promise, not your merit. No, no. But because of what He has done and what He intends to do with all those who come to Him in sincere faith, trusting all of their situation, every aspect of their life in His loving care and provision. The text says that the report of this went throughout all the district. You can imagine a situation like that being told. Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. You remember that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? Well, she's not bleeding anymore. Christ made her well. And she's been restored. And the report of this went everywhere. You, you can imagine that happening. And I'll tell you, I can't help but think about this truth about Christ needing to go viral in 2020 through our witness. People need to hear this about Christ as they face the situations in their lives. They need to know, yes, with COVID and the presidential and the job and the economy and all that, yes, Jesus is your hope. But understand this, that's because Jesus is the hope for everything, including your restoration back to God and the hope of eternal life. Right? If he can save me from death and he can save me from my sin and uncleanliness, surely he can save me from anything that comes my way. The world needs to hear this. This report about Jesus needs to go out into the ears of every man, woman, and child that you know and in this community to the ends of the earth. That's our calling. That's our missionary task. To bring the message and the hope of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. I have to wonder if I've taken advantage of the year or if I've taken advantage of 2020 by sitting in my house and relaxing and rejuvenating. Some of that's been a blessing. I hope it has been for you. Now some of you are like, I've been working 80 hours a week ever since you quit. We're praying for you. We love you. The immensity of this is real. And this has brought a great amount of stress on a lot of us. But how many of us have taken the opportunity in this year to take the extra step in seeking out people who are far from this hope, who don't know about Jesus? What an opportune time for the church to make this report known throughout all the districts. That's why we planted this church in 2013. That's why we're making plans in the midst of a pandemic to plant another church in 2021. Why? Because this report needs to go out throughout all the districts.
the world needs to know and hear that Jesus is the hope for desperate people facing a seemingly a hopeless situation. And how are they going to find out? Through your witness, through your life, through your words. Let's be faithful even in this moment. Even in this moment, let us be faithful. Jesus is hope for desperate people living in seemingly hopeless circumstances. Many of you have probably read C.S. Lewis. Raise your hand if you've read any of C.S. Lewis. Um, I put mine down. It's an allegory of um, um, my wife makes fun of me for this. You should make fun of me for not reading all these books. I think that's fair. Add that to the list of things. But I did read this uh, excerpt from a book called The Silver Chair. Have you read The Silver Chair? Yeah, I have. There's this scene where Jill meets the lion. And she's desperately in need of a drink. Listen to what Lewis writes. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, asked Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys Women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. When it comes to hope and our desperate need, when it comes to being restored back to relationship with him, when it comes to the hope of living eternally, the lion's right. There is no other So come to Jesus today, now, in faith, right? And be saved. Be made new. Be cleansed. Jesus is hope. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, Son, and Spirit. All praise and glory be to you. You knew our desperate state. And in your goodness and in your kindness and according to your sovereign will, you plan to send your Son into the world. A perfect man, perfect God. Fulfillment of your promise that you would cleanse those that are yours. And that you would give life that are yours. Oh God, thank you for this hope. I pray that if there's anybody here who still hesitates like Jill, uh, not sure that your presence would be near to them now and personal. They would see your eye turn. They would hear your voice. They would hear this hope. And they would drink from the one spring, Christ himself. Praise be to you that no matter what we face, you give us deliverance. We pray this in Christ's name.